0: Gracious Father in heaven, as we acknowledge you this morning as the one who is faithful, who cares for us, who knows us intimately like no one else, and yet loves us with a love that would send his son, Jesus, to die for us, to become the satisfaction of the father and to bear our sins in his body on the tree. We're here this morning to be reminded of that, to celebrate that and to be able to state openly that in a world that for many of us is scaring us, we have a confidence in God the father, in his sovereign plan And the hope that we can have as believers that there are no better hands that we can be held in. And we thank you for that encouragement this morning. And as we continue our series, I pray that your spirit would indeed invade this room. Touch hearts. Touch lives. May people walk away today knowing that they've heard from you and their life is much better because of it. So, Lord, for your word, may it have the effect that you desire for it to have. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, wonderful to have you here this morning as we're continuing our series of where did that come from and we're talking to we're talking this morning about you know church big church and and church universal and i want to i want to begin this morning by asking you if you ever get that question from a person and you kind of say right away how do i answer this question because you know there's so much behind the question in the first place and it happened to us as a church just this week a delivery person came into the church doors while everybody was working and getting set up for day camp and uh the person as he was walking away said what kind of church is this yeah how do you answer that question right because you know there's a million answers to that question. Because right away, you're going through what... what and you're anticipating what is it that they're looking for. Why, why are they asking that question in the first place? And if I give an answer, are we going to scare them away? Okay? Um, you know, there's just so much, so much when it comes to what is church? What, what does church mean to me? Um, and, and you know, there's, there's tens of thousands of denominations just in north america alone all different expressions of of being a follower of jesus christ and i know for many people it's 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 a huge problem it's a huge question mark and for people who are outside the church right away they say well you guys can't even get yourselves together so why should we believe you I remember, hey, listen, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you a few personal stories because I remember by my mid-20s, I was so messed up when it came to church. I'll be really honest. I'm, I'm standing on this platform as a pastor and I was the most messed up person when it came to church. You know, um, when I was nine years old, uh, my family went back to Athens for the summer, okay? I was, you know, we'd come come from Greece and and, and came to Canada and um, went back to Athens. In that one summer, as a nine-year-old, my grandmother at the time was the caretaker of the local Orthodox Church in in our community. In In that one summer, I witnessed a lamb being slaughtered right in front of me. It was Greek Easter. And we always slaughtered a lamb, you know, and I, I, I saw, I, I saw, and they threw it right at my feet. So I witnessed that. I witnessed a, a funeral. I remember my grandmother saying to um, my, my brother and I, I've got to go to the church today. Um, there's something going on. Um, and my, my mom was gone and, and uh, I had to go, we had to go with her. And I remember getting there and it was a funeral. And it was dark and the incense. And it turns out the person who you know, had, had died was my age. So I'm looking in, in this coffin. It was the first funeral I'd ever been to. Okay? And the third thing is because my grandmother was the caretaker of the church, the uh, priest would be at our house visiting more often than I cared, <laughs> to be honest. Because I don't think there was a positive thing that ever came out of his mouth when it came to me. Um, and he used to always pull out the stick and want to beat me with it. (laughs) Maybe he knew something at the time that, that, that I didn't, but you know, that, that messed me up. You know, I, at, at that point, if you asked me about church, I could tell you a lot of things about church, a lot of things about church, but I couldn't tell you anything about God. I could tell you a lot of things about church. And then when I was in my mid-twenties, okay, you know, the, this whole thing, I was a recovering musician. <laughs> and <laughs> all, yeah, all, You guys know what that looks like, right? Um, I, was a, I was a recovering musician, and I staggered into a Baptist church. <laughs> actually it was kind of surprising it was only one oh no yeah all right yeah. but i you know i'm gonna now i'm gonna insult some of you okay but please i don't mean it as an insult but i remember walking into this baptist church staggering into this baptist church i remember sitting down and for some reason i felt this inclination to hear from god and, and this inclination that i need to do something with my life etc cetera, etc cetera. And I remember sitting there waiting for the whole event to begin and all of a sudden just being jolted out of my seat by this organ. (laughs) And I went, okay, okay. Um, And then this groaning started and it turned out it was singing. But but I'm I'm only being honest about where I was at the moment. Okay, I'm just really where I'm being honest, and then and then and then the the person got up to speak, and um, it was, and and I'm waiting for that. That was the part I was waiting for. And for 45 minutes, I just learned what a low, slimy scum I was. For 45 minutes, straight. Now again, I could tell you a lot about church but I could tell you very little about God because my experiences were not really all that healthy when it came to church. And unfortunately, what my experiences were concerning church made made me think that those experiences are what God was like. And what God was all about. And sometimes I wonder when people talk about, you know, the church is all about judgment. The church is all about intolerance. The church is all about all these things. It's, it's, it's no wonder that people scratch their heads. When, and, and, and then to complicate things, it's all about so many different groups who people see us warring against each other. You know we really have the truth, we really worship properly. we really know that when what time it is during the service to stand up, what time it is to kneel down, what time it is to recite, what time it is we we we're the ones that know that a sermon has to be an hour long we're the we're we're you know, you know there, there are so many, and it's such a confusion for so many people. But here's, you know, here's the reality. The church has existed for 2,000 years. And if you, 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 if you don't understand institutions, you, you probably know this instinctively. The problem is, is as the church grew, it became messier. It became messier. And whenever people are involved... And whenever you got to institute policies and government and all that kind of stuff, it just gets more complicated. And over time, that complicated became a bigger problem. And that's what we have today. And that's what we exist with today. Now, I'm going to tell you something else, too, that may surprise you. I'm actually okay with all the different denominations. I'm actually okay that there's so many expressions. And here's, here's why. Here's what the thing that we're missing is that many of these groups are authentic believers who believe very much the same thing we do. They may just exercise their, their spirituality in a different way than we do. In fact, I think that's something we should celebrate is the fact that there are so many groups that worship in so many different ways because our God is so huge that there's no way we can limit him in the way that we often do. The bad side of that is that we get in conflict with each other just because we sing differently, just because we worship differently, just because we pray differently, just because... But the central thing is the, what's really, really important, is who do they worship? Who's central in the, the church? Are they authentic followers of Jesus Christ? And, and frankly, there are churches that, that only claim to be followers of Christ, but not necessarily... You know you, you, you may be upset at this, but there are more churches that are based on love rather than Christ, you know, and again, touchy subject, I know, but we 're not the first we 're not the first you know and and, and, and again I, I, I struggled with whether, whether or not this was going to be a history lesson as we, as we as we looked at this, but i thought I thought we are not the first to ever encounter you know, the seriousness of, of, of this. And, and here's why this is so important. This, here's why this is so important. We are living in a world that desperately needs Jesus. There are so many people, even within this congregation, who are struggling with their faith who are struggling with what it means to be a follower of Christ. There are so many people even right here that week in and week out, they're they're at work wondering if it's even meaningful enough for them to be in a relationship with God or to follow Jesus. There are many of you even this week who said, What's the use? Why should I even bother? And you're not the first one to be in that place in in your life. Because, you know... It can be so confusing out there but if there's ever a time if there's ever a moment if there's ever a season where people need Jesus it's today it's today and the church has to get it right the church has to get it right and you know I know we're just a small voice in this whole global picture but the church really needs to get it right. If there's ever a moment for the church to rise up, it's today. It is absolutely today. And, and you know, we, we, we are part of a lineage of, of churches that have been faithful for, for centuries. And I do want to take us back to uh, a passage in the book of Acts, in Acts 15. And I want to talk a little bit about this passage. because. I think this is one of the most important passages concerning the church in the entire Bible. And here's why this is so important. Um, The gospel is starting to spread to the known world at that time. And it's starting to spread to people that are characterized as Gentiles. Because in the Old Testament, it's 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 primarily a Jewish faith other people can come in and be part of the Old Testament believers, part of Judaism. But the gospel, after, after Christ's ascension, after his resurrection and ascension, the church starts to explode. And something happens in the book of Acts. People who are Gentiles, people who are outside the Jewish faith, are starting to come to faith in Jesus. The Spirit of God is coming upon them. And the, and the Jewish church doesn't know what to do with it. Like, okay, what, what does it mean to be a believer? What does it mean to, to, what rules do you have to follow? How many of you have said, you know, you know how many times somebody's come up to me and said, um, can I come to your church? Uh, no. How dare you ask me that question? What are you, nuts? Anyway, you know what, you know what I mean? Like, what would even be behind a question like that? right what would be behind a question the expectation is what do I have to get right what do I have to stop what do I have to start how do I have to dress what do I have to read what, do I, what do I, you know when do I have to bend you know all of that kind of stuff okay but I get asked that all the time: what you know can I come to your church and, and and that's that's a pertinent question right now the church is about to explode and, and, and many people outside of, 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 of Jewish and other different uh, heritages, are coming to faith in, in Christ. And the church has a problem. The church says, what do we do with these people? What rules do they have to follow? How do they get in? What is it that, that, that we, can, we, can, we can do with them? You know? And the thing is, the church at this point, this is why this is so important. At that point in the book of Acts, in the decision that the elders make, the church could have been nothing more than an extension of Judaism. It could have just instituted, okay, now you're following Jesus. you got to follow all the laws, 613 laws apart from the Ten Commandments. You have to follow them all. They could have said that. But instead, they got together and they said, and and made a decision. So I want to read us that passage, kind of unfold it a little bit for all of us, and, and work at it from there. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. Antioch in Syria is the place where believers were first called Christians, by the way. Unless you are circumcised, as required by the law of Moses, read that last sentence you cannot be saved. Unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. The gospel is exploding. People are coming to faith. And these people from Judea have come in and said to all these people, guess what? You cannot be saved. You are not right with God unless you have a medical procedure. Imagine. Okay? Sorry, I know it's crass. All right? Um, So at that time, the church was made up of women and children. Very few of the guys are are, going to pass on this one. All right? Okay? Right? Imagine. Don't. Listen. In the Old Testament, that was never a prerequisite for getting right with God. It was a marker of your relationship. It was a covenant marker of your relationship with God but it wasn't what made you right. It's it's, it's almost as if, you know, I want to baptize my children so it protects them for life. Okay? Notice the word protection. Notice the word so they'll be saved for life no matter what it is. But how many of us think that we can do some of these things and that's what makes us right with God? You know, we... We drift in that direction, don't we? Where if I do the right things, if I stop the right things, if I start doing, you know, this and reading and and all of that, that this is what's going to make me right with God. And the Jewish people over time started making the law that which made you right before God. Had nothing to do with the relationship anymore. Nothing to do. It had to do everything with the ritual. And here are these people being told that unless they have a medical procedure, they are not going to get right with God. Now, what does that tell you? Now, what does that imply about God? That God is easy to appease if you just do the right things. That God can be manipulated. If you put the right change in the machine, you can get God to do whatever you want. Doesn't that imply that? Okay, So the church has this decision to make. They're hearing this. And what, what do they do? They could very easily have said, yeah, you know, this has been the tradition for years. This is what we tell the new believers. This is what we tell the Gentile believers that they have to do. Let's go on to the next passage. You guys tracking with me? All right. Okay, it's going to rain. You can't get to the beach. So you might as well just stay here. All right. <laughs> Besides, this is more important, right? Amen. Okay, good. Good. I'm glad. Now, they're having a discussion. All the elders in the, in the Jerusalem church are having a discussion about this. And at, at the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter, the Apostle Peter, Mr. Put, put a Sandal in my mouth. Right? And he you know, always getting himself in trouble. Right? This is Peter. Amazing. Stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts. That's a very important distinction in that passage that Peter recognizes. And he confirmed that he accept, accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, and again, just as he did us. So whatever the way that you get to God and you get right with God is the same as what it was for the Jewish people is what he's confirming. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? In other words, it was really tough to be part of this, of, of this Jewish people in this Jewish nation because there were so many, you know, 10 commandments, 613 laws on top of it. Every day was a feast. Every new moon was a feast day. Everything was, you know, on and on and on. And he's acknowledging that we believe, Peter says, that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Amen. That becomes the distinction of every church throughout the centuries. That we believe that people get right with God through a relationship and the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. And the early church could have diverted the whole system. They could have invented a whole new kind of faith that was, that was you know, based on Old Testament law to the degree that they had to adhere. All they, all they would have ended up becoming is Gentile Jews. Still following the same laws. All of that stuff this is a this is this is a turning point in the history of the church of the people of God this becomes a really important decision and here's here's the last part that I want to get us to here is James the brother of Jesus who makes this judgment who's kind of the leader of the church and by the way um, who would be more difficult to convince that you are the son of God. Your family. Right? You are who? You are what? Mom? What? What? Yeah. It's amazing that Jesus' brother James is the one who is making is the leader of the Jerusalem church here and is making these distinctions, okay? This is an awesome passage. And, and again, we're going to unpack it in just a minute. So Jane says, and so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Wow. You know what? You may disagree with me. I think that's a passage that we should have on the front door of the church as people come in that is so 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 important we should not make it difficult for anyone who is turning to god who wants to learn more about god that is such an important and here's james and and by the way these are all good jewish men they have gotten up every morning doing the shema prayer in the afternoon three doing the shema prayer at night doing the shema prayer they you know if they face jerusalem when they pray they know all about the history and the and the culture and the old testament laws and and all of this and here they are recognizing that god is doing a brand new work in the world and they just can't continue the way they are Jesus said, Jesus said that no part of the law was going to disappear, that he was going to fulfill it. Really important distinction to make. That in worshiping Jesus, that we are worshiping, no, not worshiping, but we are following the moral and ethical laws of the Old Testament. That Jesus embodies them. When we say we are a Christian, we are embodying the, old, the, the law of law the moral and ethical standards of the law in Jesus Christ because he came to fulfill the law. He was the only one perfect enough to embody them all. That's, you know, that is so cool. We don't just jettison that. We don't just say, oh, it's okay to steal now. Right? That's not what, what we're talking about here. We're talking about Jesus being the full embodiment of the perfection of the law. And what it demonstrates over the history of the Jewish people, is that they couldn't keep the law anyway. As much as they tried, as much as they tried to be perfect, as much as they tried to do it in their own strength, even though it was, it was honorable and admirable that they tried, they always failed. Always and God had to prove that it had to come by a different mode, a different, a different method. That had to come from a perfect sacrifice who could embody the whole law and, and be the propitiation for our sin. There's that $30 word that we throw around, right? And become the satisfaction of God. And by faith in him, we take on all of that through Christ. That's what the early church recognized, right? Now, I love this. Instead of saying here are the Ten Commandments, here are the six hundred and thirteen laws that you have to embody, this is what James says. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. Now you're going what? There's four stipulations that James makes. Three of them are, do not offend the Jewish people. Because now you're now with the Jewish people, and now you're all worshiping together. But basically what he's saying, just don't offend them. Okay? The one that stands out is the sexual immorality one. Isn't it interesting? The three out of the four have to do listen you're going to be rubbing shoulders with jewish people who have a long history of these lives you're going to be rubbing shoulders and worshiping together with them just don't offend them and sexual immorality that's that's the distinction that james makes and the whole council agrees on it and the church from there explodes. And you know what the text actually says that when they went back and told the people what the decision of <laughs> of the council was there was great joy. All the men went <laughs> <claps> 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 Okay? There were, there was there was there was great joy. Imagine imagine how how incredibly dynamic this would have been for the jewish people the jewish elders to say you know what we don't have to put this burden on you this is what's really important and in that culture and in that day by the way sexual immorality was rampant every cult had prostitution as part of its worship all right um we we have we have no idea about the first century uh, and we think we've got it all together here, okay? But sexual immorality was a bit. This is, you know, culturally, socially, to be sexually moral was 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 what separated you from the rest of the culture, okay? And defining you as not, you know, being a part of of what was happening all around, okay? That's the only, only stipulation. So what is it, you know, and, and so, but for centuries, churches have struggled with wh- who gets in. How do we, all of that kind of stuff. Can I just give you like a few points really quick that I think is really important for all of us to remember. Um, and we may do things differently. We may worship things, but this is the struggle we all face. And if we don't, if we Don't focus on these items. If we're not careful with these, we will tend to drift. We will tend to drift in a way that doesn't represent the authenticity of what the church was established for in the first place. So these are really important, and we're all guilty of this to one way or another. All right? Here's, Here's number one, really quick. Keeping Jesus central. Now, I know that sounds crazy. I know there are, there are many, many churches have Jesus in, in, in the letterhead, Jesus in the name, but Jesus is very far from the hearts of the people in the church. Sorry. No, I mentioned a few weeks ago the number of people who uh, are, are in, in churches who stand up at the front and they believe nothing of what they're saying. They don't believe the Bible. They don't believe Jesus. Any of that. It's all mythology, all, all that kind of stuff. The church just can't continue like that. Okay, but keep Jesus central. What does it mean to keep Jesus central? Right. You know, um, that's why life groups are so important here. You know, it's not just about a speech Sunday. It's about gathering together, learning, and growing deeper in your faith. Okay, and learning how to walk with Jesus. All right. So keeping Jesus central. Number two. Becoming exclusive to insiders. This is a dangerous drift, that we only care about the people that are inside these four walls. That's all. Okay? That we cater to the, you know, sorry. um, You know, have students say to me all the time, but we serve people. And I say, no, you don't. That will get you into trouble every time. What you do is you serve Jesus first. And through that, you serve people. But if you serve people first, it will always get you into trouble. But if you serve God, if you are obedient, if you are the best follower, that's your responsibility. That is God's will for you. I've said many years, I don't know all of you, but the reality is I do know what God's will is for each and every one of you. God's will for each and every one of you is to become conformed into the likeness of his son, Jesus. That is the personal will of God has for each and every one of you. So I can, I can stand up here this morning and say, this is what I know God wants for you. Everything else is secondary. Everything else becomes, you know, uh, a benefit beyond that. But that is the primary thing. And if we become exclusive, and we forget that there's a world out there, there's a need out there, that there are people out there, then we just become, and that's what what happened to the Jewish people. They became so inclusive to the point that they became, um, they became, you know, harsh to the people that were outside, and judgmental to the people that were outside. And the Bible teaches us: if we're judgmental, we're judgmental to one another, not to people outside the church. By the way, we're accountable. People outside the church have do not have the spirit of God; they don't have a relationship with God. How can they possibly know what's right or wrong? That's what how, that's what the Bible teaches. I know that. You know, how can they possibly understand what God wants when they have no faith at all? Okay, number three. Placing excessive expectations on outsiders. That's just what I said, wasn't it? Right? How, how many of us, you know, can I come to your church? Uh, yeah, but you need to shave. You need to bring this Bible version. You need to put the right clothes on. And if it's not blue, you can't come. <laughs> okay? Don't, don't we do that in, in, in one way or another? Don't we do that in one way or another? All right? Okay, we need to be careful what our expectations are of people who have no idea of what faith is all about. Okay, we're accountable to one another. All right, um, is this the last one? It might be the last one. Uh, drifting from oh, oh, it's not the last one, but drifting from grace into law, drifting from grace into law, and and again, you know. As, the, as church explode, as many denominations got into conflict and as they all separated and all that stuff, it all became about law. We believe this and all that stuff. We had very little grace to one another. Very little grace to one another. And we need more grace to one another. Listen, we need more grace, period. I can't tell you. We need more grace, period. Um, grace. I, I would argue that grace makes you most like God in your life. Unforgiveness makes you least like God in your life. And here's the kicker. Grace is the hardest thing for you to manage in your life. And don't, and don't miss this. Jesus was full of grace and truth full of grace and truth. But Jesus was very graceful to everybody before he kicked them in the teeth with truth. Right? Okay? And and also don't miss what the passage says. Jesus wasn't 50% grace and 50% truth. He was 100% grace and 100%. That's that's what the passage implies that he was full of grace and truth that there's one thing that Jesus could manage really well is both of those at the same time many of us acknowledge that when it comes to me I want grace when it comes to another person I want to give them truth right but when it comes to me you better deliver it nicely we need to turn that around okay here's the last one protecting rather than advancing when we protect our territory instead of looking to advance listen the church has risked everything for years and years and years and years and years and you know what it's still here whenever the church has gotten protective whenever the church is you know that's always been a problem. But these are the drifts that every denomination, every church, every institution struggles with over time. And these are the very things that the Jerusalem Council worked very hard, very, very hard to make sure didn't happen. So, are denominations good or bad? And If somebody asked you, what kind of church is this? What would you say? Jesus is alive. alive. Yeah. Acceptance and grace. grace. Okay. (laughs) And we can all have a good time at the same time. (laughs) Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for... A look at a problem that the early church dealt with. And the wisdom of these elders as they gathered together, acknowledging that they could have very easily created something that was going to be even more difficult. And we're not and, and we're not saying this morning that following Jesus is easy. It's extremely hard. It's the hardest thing possible. That's why we need the empowerment of the Spirit to be able to do it. But Lord, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, how many people will not darken the door of a church because of their experience? How many people have a wrong impression of God because of what they've experienced at church? Lord, we're not perfect. We're, we're you know, we're we we do not have it all together. We're not always right. But Lord, we're trying to be faithful. And like the early church, allow us to focus on that which is important, the priorities that move us from an institution to a living, breathing organism that reflects the grace, the power, the authority, the saving ability of Jesus to transform people's lives so that they can live with the hope of eternity and and. And face life with all of its difficulties, knowing that there's a hope beyond it. So, Lord, as a church, may you continue to move us in the direction that you desire. And may we not drift in areas that maybe others have, so that the Jesus, so that the gospel becomes and remains front and center. In Jesus' name, amen. As the worship team comes up, I want to remind you once again that we uh, have a prayer room for those of you that would like to be uh, prayed with. If you have any requests that you want to take to prayer with individuals, and you know, don't forget this is day camp. We have a hundred and five kids here, and there are there are parents. There are relatives who are longing to see a grandson, a child that they love, come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. May this be a week where we see a harvest for the Lord and young lives transformed and changed. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand as we close our service in songs.